Chapter Fourteen of Esther Reed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Esther Reed by Pansy. Chapter Fourteen: The Little Card. Left to herself, Esther found her train of thought so thoroughly disagreeable that she hastened to rid herself of it and seized upon the newcomer to afford her a substitute. This cousin, whom she had expected to influence for good, had at last arrived. Esther's interest in him had been very strong ever since that evening of her arrival, when she had been appealed to to use her influence on him. Just in what way she hadn't an idea. Abby had never spoken of it since, and seemed to have lost much of her eager desire that the cousins should meet. Esther mused about all this now. She wished she knew just in what way she was expected to be of benefit. Abby was evidently troubled about him. Perhaps he was rough and awkward. Schoolboys often were, even those born in a city. Very much of Ralph's life had been spent away from home, she knew, and she had often heard that boys away from home influences grew rude and coarse oftentimes. Yes, that was undoubtedly it. Shy, too, he was, of course. He was of about the age to be that. She could imagine just how he looked. He felt out of place in the grand mansion, which he called home, but where he had passed so small a portion of his time. Probably he didn't know what to do with his hands nor his feet, and just as likely as not, he sat on the edge of his chair and ate with his knife. School was a horrid place for picking up all sorts of ill manners. Of course, all these things must annoy Abby very much especially at this time when he must necessarily come so often in contact with that perfection of gentlemanliness, Mr. Foster. I wish, thought Esther at this point, growing a little anxious, I wish there was more than a week before the wedding. However, I'll do my best. Abby shall see I'm good for something. Although I do differ with her somewhat on her peculiar views, I believe I know how to conduct myself with ease in almost any position, if I have been brought up in the country. And by the time the lunch bell rang, a girl more thoroughly satisfied with herself and her benevolent intentions than was this same Esther could hardly have been found. She stood before the glass, smoothing the shining bands of hair, preparatory to tying a blue satin ribbon over them, when Abby fluttered in. Forgive me a great many times for rushing off in the flutter I did and leaving you behind, and staying away so long. You see, I haven't seen Ralph in quite a little time, and I forgot everything else. Your hair doesn't need another bit of brushing, Esther. It's as smooth as velvet. They are all waiting for us in the dining room, and I want to show you to Ralph. And before the blue satin ribbon was tied quite to her satisfaction, Esther was hurried to the dining room to take up her new role of guide and general assistant to the awkward youth. I suppose he hasn't an idea what to say to me, was her last compassionate thought, as Abby's hand rested on the knob. I suppose he won't be hopelessly quiet, but I'll manage in some way. At first he was nowhere to be seen, but as Abby said eagerly, Ralph, here is cousin Esther, the door swung back into its place and revealed a tall, well-proportioned young man, with a full bearded face and the brightest of dancing eyes. He came forward immediately, extending both hands and speaking in a rapid voice. Long hoped for come at last. 
I don't refer to myself, you understand, but to this much waited for, eagerly looked forward to prospect of greeting my cousin Esther. Ought I to welcome you, or you me, which is it? I'm somewhat bewildered as to proprieties. This fearfully near approach to a wedding has confused my brain. Sis, turning suddenly to Abby, have you prepared Esther for her fate? Does she fully understand that she and I are to officiate? That is, if we don't evaporate before the eventful day. Sis, how could you have the conscience to perpetrate a wedding in August? Whatever takes Foster abroad just now anyway? And without waiting for answer to his ceaseless questions, he ran gaily on. Clearly, whatever might be his shortcomings, inability to talk was not one of them. And Esther, confused, bewildered, utterly thrown out of her prepared part in the entertainment, was more silent and awkward than she had ever known herself to be. Provoked, too, with Abby, with Ralph, with herself. How could I have been such a simpleton? she asked herself, as seated opposite her cousin at table she had opportunity to watch the handsome face, with its changeful play of expression, and note the air of pleased attention with which even her uncle Ralph listened to his ceaseless flow of words. I knew he was older than Abby, and that this was his third year in college. What could I have expected from Uncle Ralph's son? A petty dunce he must think me, blushing and stammering like an awkward country girl. What on earth could Abby mean about needing my help for him, and being troubled about him? It is some of her ridiculous fanatical nonsense, I suppose. I wish she could ever talk or act like anybody else. I don't know that such is the case, however, Ralph was saying, when Esther returned from this rehearsal of her own thoughts. I can simply guess at it, which is as near an approach to an exertion as a fellow ought to be obliged to make in this weather. John, you may fill my glass if you please. Father, this is even better wine than your cellar usually affords, and that is saying a great deal. Sis, has Foster made a temperance man of you entirely? I see you are devoted to ice water. Oh, certainly, Mrs. Reed answered for her, in the half-contemptuous tone she was wont to assume on such occasions. I warn you, Ralph, to get all the enjoyment you can out of the present, for Abby intends to keep you with her entirely after she has a home of her own, out of the reach of temptation. Esther glanced hurriedly and anxiously toward her cousin. How did this pet scheme of hers become known to Mrs. Reed, and how could Abby possibly retain her habitual self-control under the sarcastic ridicule, which was so apparent in her mother's voice? The pink on her cheek did deepen perceptibly, but she answered with the most perfect good humor. Ralph, don't be frightened, please. I shall let you out once in a long while if you are very good. Ralph bent loving eyes on the young sweet face and made prompt reply. I don't know that I shall care for even that reprieve, since you're to be jailer. What could there be in this young man to cause anxiety or to wish changed? Yet even while Esther queried, he passed his glass for a third filling, and taking note just then of Abby's quick, pained look, then downcast eyes and deeply flushing face, the knowledge came suddenly that in that wine-glass the mischief lay. Abby thought him in danger, and this was the meaning of her unfinished sentence on that first evening, and her embarrassed silence since. 
for Esther, with her filled glass always beside her plate, untouched indeed sometimes, but oftener sipped from in response to her uncle's invitation, was not the one from whom help could be expected in this matter, and Esther wondered if the handsome face opposite her could really be in absolute danger, or whether this was another of Abby's whims, at least it wasn't pleasant to be drinking wine before him, and she left her glass untouched that day, and felt thoroughly troubled about that and everything. The next morning there was a shopping excursion, and Ralph was smuggled in as an attendant. Abby turned over the endless sets of handkerchiefs in bewildering indecision. "'Take this box, do, Abby,' Esther urged. "'This monogram in the corner is lovely, and that is the dearest little sprig in the world.' "'Which is precisely what troubles me,' laughed Abby. "'It is entirely too dear.' Think of paying such an enormous sum for just handkerchiefs. Ralph, who was lounging near her, trying hard not to look bored, elevated his eyebrows as his ear caught the sentence, and addressed her in undertone. Is Foster hard up? If he is, you are not on his hands yet, sis, and I am inclined to think father is good for all the finery you may happen to fancy. That only shows your ignorance of the subject or your high opinion of me. I assure you, were I so disposed, I could bring father's affairs into a fearful tangle this very day, just by indulging a fancy for finery. Are his affairs precarious, Abby, or is finery prodigious? Abby laid her hand on a square of cobwebby lace. That is seventy-five dollars, Ralph. What of it? Do you want it? And Ralph's hand was in his pocket. Abby turned with almost a shiver from the counter. I hope not, Ralph she said with sudden energy. I hope I may never be so unworthy of my trust as to make such a wicked use of money. Then, more lightly, you are worse than Queen Esther here, and her advice is bewildering enough. But, Abby, how can you be so absurd, said that young lady, returning to the charge. Those are not very expensive, I am sure, at least not for you, and you certainly want some very nice ones. I'm sure if I had one-third of your spending money, I shouldn't need to hesitate. Abby's voice was very low and sweet, and reached only her cousin's ear. Esther, the silver and the gold are his, and I have asked him this very morning to help me in every little item to be careful of his trust. Now do you think... But Esther had turned away in a vexed, uncomfortable state of mind, and walked quite to the other end of the store, leaving Abby to complete her purchases as she might see fit. She leaned against the door, tapping her fingers in a very softly but very nervous manner against the glass. How queer it was that in the smallest matters she and Abby could not agree! How was it possible that the same set of rules could govern them both? And the old, ever-recurring question came up to be thought over afresh. Clearly they were unlike, utterly unlike. Now was Abby right and she wrong? Or was Abby... No, not wrong. The word would certainly not apply. There absolutely could be no wrong associated with Abby's way. Well, then, queer. Unlike other people, unnecessarily precise, studying the right and wrong of matters, which she had been wont to suppose had no moral bearing of any sort, rather which she had never given any attention to. While she waited and queried, her eye caught a neat little card receiver hanging near her, apparently filled with cards, and bearing in gilt lettering just above them the winning words, 
free to all, take one. This was certainly a kindly invitation, and Esther's curiosity being aroused as to what this all might be for, she availed herself of the invitation, and drew with dainty fingers a small, neat card from the case, and read, I solemnly agree, as God shall help me, 1. To observe regular sessions of secret prayer, at least in the morning and evening of each day. 2. To read daily at least a small portion of the Bible. 3. To attend at one or more prayer meetings every week if I have strength to get there. 4. To stand up for Jesus always and everywhere. 5. To try and save at least one soul each year. 6. To engage in no amusement where my Savior could not be a guest. Had this small bit of cardboard been a coal of fire, it could not have been more suddenly dropped upon the marble before her than was this, as Esther's startled eyes took in its meaning. Who could have written those sentences, and to be placed there in a conspicuous corner of a fashionable store? Was she never to be at peace again? Had the world gone wild? Was this an emanation from Cousin Abby's brain, or were there many more Cousin Abby's in what she had supposed was a wicked city, or, oh, painful question which came back hourly nowadays and seemed to fairly chill her blood. Was this religion, and had she none of it? Was her profession a mockery, her life a miserably acted lie? Is that thing hot? It was Ralph's amused voice which asked this question close beside her. What? Where? And Esther turned in dire confusion. Why, that bit of paper, or was it a ghostly communication from the world of spirits? You look startled enough for me to suppose anything, and it spun away from your grasp very suddenly. Oh, he added, as he glanced it through, rather ghostly, I must confess, or would be if one were inclined that way. But I imagined your nerves were stronger. Did the pronoun startle you? How? Why, I thought perhaps you considered yourself committed to all this solemnity before your time, or willy-nilly as children say. What a comical idea to hang one's self up in a store in this fashion. I must have one of these. Are you going to keep yours? And as he spoke he reached forward and possessed himself of one of the cards. Rather odd things to be found in our possession, wouldn't they be? Abby now would be just one of this sort. That cold shiver trembled again through Esther's frame as she listened. Clearly he did not reckon her one of that sort. He had known her but one day, and yet he seemed positive that she stood on an equal footing with himself. Oh, why was it? How did he know? Was her manner then utterly unlike that of a Christian, so much that this young man saw it already? Or was it that glass of wine from which she had sipped last evening? and at this moment she would have given much to be back where she thought herself two weeks ago on the wine question. But she stood silent and let him talk on, not once attempting to define her position, partly because there had crept into her mind this fearful doubt unaccompanied by the prayer, If I've never loved before, help me to begin today. And partly, oh, poor Esther, because she was utterly unused to confessing her Saviour, and though not exactly ashamed of him, at least she could have indignantly denied the charge, yet it was much less confusing to keep silence and let others think as they would. 
This had been her rule, and she followed it now, and Ralph continued. Queer world this, isn't it? How do you imagine our army would have prospered if one-fourth of the soldiers had been detailed for the purpose of coaxing the rest to follow their leader and obey orders? That's what it seems to me the so-called Christian world is up to. Does the comical side of it ever strike you, Esther? Positively, I can hardly keep from laughing now and then to hear the way in which Dr. Downing pitches into his church members, and they sit and take it as meekly as lambs brought to the slaughter. It does them about as much good, apparently, as it does me. No, not so much, for it amuses me, and serves to make me good-natured, on good terms with myself for half an hour or so. I'm so thoroughly rejoiced, you see, to think that I don't belong to that set of miserable sinners. Dr. Downing does preach very sharp, harsh sermons, Esther said at last, feeling the necessity of saying something. I have often wondered at it. I think them calculated to do more harm than good. Oh, I don't wonder at that in the least. I'd make it sharper yet if I were he. The necessity exists, evidently. The wonder lies in that to my mind. If a fellow really means to do a thing, what does he wait to be punched up about it everlastingly for? Hang me if I don't like to see people act as though they meant it, even if the question is a religious one. Esther, how many times ought I to beg your pardon for using an unknown tongue, in other words, slang phrases? I fancied myself talking to my chum, delivering a lecture on theology, which is somewhat out of my sphere, as you have doubtless observed. Yet such people as you and I can't help having eyes and ears, and using them now and then, can we? Still silence on Esther's part, so far as defining her position was concerned. She was not ashamed of her Savior now, but of herself. If this gay cousin's eyes were critical, she knew she could not bear the test. Yet she rallied sufficiently to condemn within her own mind the poor little cards. They will do more harm than good, she told herself positively. To such young men as Ralph, for instance, what could he possibly want with one of them, save to make it a subject of ridicule when he got with some of his wild companions? but it transpired that his designs were not so very wicked after all, for as they left the store he took the little card from his pocket and handed it to Abby with a quiet, Sis, here is something that you will like. And Abby read it and said, How solemn that is! Did you get it for me, Ralph? Thank you. And Ralph bowed and smiled on her, a kind, almost tender smile, very unlike the roguish twinkle that had shone in his eyes while he talked with Esther. All through the busy day that silent, solemn card haunted Esther. It pertinaciously refused to be lost. She dropped it twice in their transit from store to store, but Ralph promptly returned it to her. At home she laid it on her dressing table, but piled scarfs and handkerchiefs and gloves over it as high as she might. It was sure to flutter to the floor at her feet as she sought hurriedly in the mass of confusion for some missing article. Once she seized and flung it from the window in dire vexation, and was rewarded by having Maggie presented to her about two minutes thereafter, as a, something that landed square on my head, ma'am, as I was coming around the corner. At last she actually grew nervous over it, felt almost afraid to touch it, so thoroughly had it fastened itself on her conscience. These great black letters in that first sentence seemed burned into her brain. I solemnly agree, as God shall help me. 
At last she deposited the unwelcome little monitor at the very bottom of her collar box, under some unused collars, telling herself that it was for safe keeping, that she might not lose it again, not letting her conscience say for a moment that it was because she wanted to bury the haunting words out of her sight. End of chapter 14 Recording by Tricia G.